Hi everyone, I hope you're having an amazing day. A friend of mine asked me to do a chat about talent management, specifically how to attract and retain high-performing team members, and also how to move underperforming team members off the team. First, I'd like to share two quotes that can summarize this conversation. The first one is from Jack Welsh when he was the CEO of GE. Jack said, leaders need to relentlessly upgrade their team using every encounter as an opportunity to evaluate, coach, and build self-confidence. The second quote, I'm not sure who this is attributed to, but it's, it says, people don't leave bad jobs, they leave bad managers. So there's a ton to unpack here, so let's get started. In order to do this chat, I'm actually going to work backwards because through the through, through going by going backwards through these questions in the end, if you're doing everything right, things like upgrading your team, then one outcome that you're going to have is you're going to be able to attract great talent. So it makes more sense for me to go through this chat backwards. So let's start with how we move underperforming people off the team. If you want to do that, you have to really start by defining underperforming. In my career, I've noticed that there's always a gap between what the employee thinks their performance is and what the manager thinks their performance is. So you have to go define, if you're going to say you want to move underperforming people off the team, How do you know they're underperforming? How do they know they're underperforming? So in order to label someone as underperforming, there has to be an objective standard for their performance and specific measurable goals to determine their performance level. Just can't be their opinion about their performance or your opinion about their performance. To be fair to everybody involved, both the employee and the company, you need objective standards. If these objective and measurable standards, and, and I'm not saying this is easy, guys, but I'm saying it's what's needed to be fair. If these objective standards don't exist, that's the first thing you have to establish. So you have to go make sure there is objectivity around the performance. That's the first thing you have to establish so that you have an objective standard to first try to grow them to that level. It's it's not really fair to just walk in one day and say, hey, you're underperforming, time to move you off the team. Establish a standard And your first shot as a manager, your first obligation is to try to grow that individual. Without this objective standard for performance, underperformers often experience something called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And the Dunning-Kruger effect, it's it's a hypothetical cognitive bias. And it states that people with low ability at a task overestimate their own ability. And people with high ability at a task underestimate their ability. So if you have a low performer, 
the Dunning-Kruger effect basically suggests that they're always going to think they're doing better than they really are. And this is where object, objective standards help. Now, that all said, right, if despite objective standards, development efforts on your part, they're simply just not the right fit for the role, then your next step is to realize and understand that it's your job as a leader, your job as a leader is not to cover for your team members' underperformance, but instead, your obligation is to build a team that can not only do the job, but grow to take on more responsibility over time. Over my 40-year career, I've come across countless managers. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Countless managers who just have some misguided sense of what they think is loyalty. And they really start to try to cover for their underperformers or make excuses and things like that. In these cases, the trend seems to be not being objectively honest with the individual about their performance and also not having objective high-performance standards. Instead, both end up making excuses or externalizing the blame for the poor performance. Oh, it, the, I would have done this if they had done better, blah, 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 right? So the second thing for you to do is to have the courage right? To be upfront with that individual. You signed up to be a manager. You're a leader. You have to own this conversation. And that is really, honestly, it's not being cruel. It's being honest. And it's going to help them by helping them to understand where they could use further development. And again, you don't have to be cruel about it, but it is your obligation to be honest and objective about it. And then, so let them understand where they could use further development, but then you can help them to find a role that is more suited for them to be successful. Keep in mind, just because they're not the right fit for the role on your team, it, this doesn't necessarily mean that they're not well-suited for a role in a different organization. So your alternatives are not always just to fire them but it could be helping them to find a role more suited to their capabilities. Oh, and one other mistake I see managers um, who have this misguided sense of loyalty um, to their team, one of the things that they do that is such a big no-no is what they do is they rescope the role for the individual to something that the individual can do. But the mistake is that they don't officially downgrade the role and demote the individual. So here's a situation. Let's say, uh, you know, I, I don't know what your performance levels are in your company, but let's say this job, the, the, the lowest level job is a level one and the highest level job is a level five. And this person is in a role and the, the requirements needed for this role is level three capability. And this person can only perform at level two capability. What I see managers do a lot, which is the biggest no-no, don't, don't ever do this, is they take that individual in the level three role, they downgrade their responsibilities, the work that they ask them to do to level two work, 
but everything else stays the same. They stay at a level three title and management level and pay grade. And let me tell you, just think about all the inequity that that causes, right? So they leave the individual, excuse me, at the current role, but they lower their responsibility without demoting them. This is probably the worst thing you can do. It will cause all sorts of problems with overall team equity and ultimately affect your talent management across your team because now you're not calibrated on objective standards. And trust me, all your team members are watching everybody else to compare themselves. And while they're comparing themselves, don't forget the Dunning-Kruger effect. Um, then you start to build a reputation for being a bad manager. So remember the part of the topic we're tackling here is how to move underperformers off the team. And we're working backwards. So we'll cover how to minimize getting to this point. I'm sure your company also has some HR requirements on how to move someone from your team. Uh, so you should follow those as well. But in summary, for this section on how to move underperforming people off your team, it's really coming down to, you know, you really having the courage to actually go do it, but make sure that you use objective standards for this process. Okay, so that's how you move underperforming people off the team. Now let's talk about the fun part, right? How do you retain high-performing individuals? In my career, I've often observed that the biggest motivator for many people, right, is having a sense of purpose, being able to know that they're adding value to the team or the organization where other people can see it, recognize it, and acknowledge it, right? And also growing their skills over time. So to me, that's what I've observed as one of the biggest retainers for high-performing individuals. Sure, you've got other tools that your company may give you like retention stock and things like that. You know, use all of those um, tools. But, the, but, but in the day-to-day, what people think about every day when they're coming to work, every day when they wake up and they decide, am I excited about going to work today to do this job? It's not about some stock option that's going to vest over three years. That's not what they're thinking about the first thing in the morning. That may come in at the, at the end when they're thinking about leaving. That may be the thing that either holds them or not. But that's not the thing that motivates them on a day-to-day basis. The thing that motivates most people on a day-to-day basis is, do they have a sense of purpose and are they recognized as adding value to the company, right? So interestingly, when you look at everyone in the organization, not everybody can be the CEO, so what about individuals that have reached the highest levels level within the organization that they desire to reach? I mean, not everybody's going to be the manager. Not everybody's going to be the director. Not everybody's going to be the CEO. You need the, the majority of the working population are your mid-level individual contributors, and you want them doing a great job. So you may be saying, well, what do I do about them when they've topped out in their career? Uh, That's okay. If it's their personal desire where they've reached a level that they're happy with, that's okay. Those people, though, 
they still want to feel like they add value within their level. And there's always room for someone within your level to grow their own skills to be the best at that particular level. So for everyone else, well, including them, there always needs to be these objective standards about job levels, and those standards need to be calibrated with the employees about where their skills and capabilities are for their job level and what skills and capabilities are needed to reach the next level and when. That is the biggest question most people have about promotion, which is, well, usually they think about it a lot more simplistically because people think about actions versus outcomes. They think, tell me what the 10 steps that I need to do to get to the next level. And you need to kind of convert them a little bit and say, well, it's not about executing 10 steps. What it is, it's about possessing a certain set of skills and capabilities that are needed for the next level up, right? And, and if you have this, this is a part of the recipe where you can retain high-performing individuals. So let's come to the question about, you know, talent management. So within all of this, the, the, everything we're talking about here is basically your, your standard basic talent management process. That, that's, it's fairly generic. Companies all over the place, they have their own tools and standards for talent management. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's specific to each company with or even group with, with their own tools and standards. But ultimately, all of these talent management tools and processes are role and level based, right? That's how we can establish things like salaries and things like that, right? So everything is about what role and what level do we have a role in a company. And this is where where your talent management comes in. You have this job architecture within a company that can add some objectivity to roles and levels within a company. So what I mean by this is, Every employee in a company is performing a role, and that role is assigned a certain level within the organization. So to retain high-performing individuals, the key has always been to be able to show them a career path. So how do you move from one level in the organization to the next? This is part of the career conversation that you need to have with them. And by the way, if, if your company tells you you need to have career conversations annually, I would say do them at least twi- two times a year. Annually is, is, is actually too long. So, uh, and, and there's reasons for that, right? The, the more frequently you can check in, the more ability you have to baseline where somebody is, whether they're on track or not, and being able to adjust. Plus, their aspirations can change as well. So this is part of the career conversation where you first have to sit down with them to understand what is their desire to move up and take on more responsibility. Remember, there's some people in your team that are perfectly happy being where they are, and you need to know that. They don't want to get promoted, but, they do, but, you, but, they're, do, but they're great individual performers, so you need to figure out a way to retain them, right? And that is going to ultimately come back to making sure they have a sense of purpose, that they're, they, that they're recognized for adding value, and there is a path for them to continue to be the best 
in the level that they're in through growth and development. So again, some will tell you that it's a good fit in the role and the level, and they are where they want to be, and they want to focus on being the best in that role and the level. Some will tell you, though, that they want upward mobility with increasing responsibility. In any of these cases, the product of the career conversation is a career development plan. This is an action plan on how they attain their career goals. Look, I'm not going to go into details in here on that. I've actually already, um, uh, I've already done a podcast specific to the topic about how to create a career plan. So if you're interested in that, go take a look at that one. Where I have seen companies and teams fail time and time again in the talent management process, though, is to make what my old boss used to call, they used to make the talent management process really just an Excel exercise. <clears throat> Excuse me. So this is where the management team, they pull out the management level standards, they get the team assessed, everyone decides you know, who goes where in the talent management grid and what development they need for each individual to move to the next level and when. But then once the management team leaves the room, the daily operation becomes a priority of the day and career development gets deprioritized. In the end, all that was done was a paper exercise with no follow-through action. Don't do that. The key to retaining high-performing individuals is to make sure <clears throat> they have a sense of purpose. They see how they're helping the team or the organization, and they have a robust, meaning it's a very good comprehensive, and a very actively managed, and I'm talking day-to-day, week-to-week plan where each and every day they're immersed in opportunities to learn and grow according to their development plan, and they can see progress to the next level. I've often said, if you give an individual three things, one, the right formal training, two, the right mentorship and coaching, and three, the right opportunities, there is no reason that they can't rise to their own full potential. As I've covered in the podcast on developing a career plan, this is essentially, in essence, what we call the 70-20-10 development plan, where 10% of the plan is formal educational opportunities, 20% is learning from others, and not just a mentor or a coach, but others around them. You do need a formal mentor and coach. But 70% is being able to work on assignments or projects that stretch their areas of development. That is what's hard. Sitting down and identifying each of these components and then putting it all in place into a robust plan that's actively managed day by day, week by week, month by month, right? But this will work. I have continually applied this process over my career, and I can show you a list of numerous top leaders who went through this process that have become very successful. Yes, it does take more time. It does take more time than most people have ever dedicated to this in the past. But think about what the alternative is. What Doing what you're doing today 
you're going to see the same results that you're seeing today unless you change. By the way, to do all of this, you need to make sure that you do have an organizational design where specific roles are identified such that when you put all these roles together, you do have a high-performing team that delivers on the mission statement for your team or your organization. And I haven't done a podcast on this one yet, but I'll do a dedicated podcast on how to design your overall organization. But here's a really short summary for context for the rest of this podcast. If you want to design this organization that, by the way, it does wonderful things like it clarifies and, you know, it gets rid of ambiguity about who does what, what their performance standards are, et cetera. It shows career paths in your team if, if, if they are indeed there. There's so many great benefits of having a well-designed organization. But again, it's something that's very challenging for a lot of teams. But here's how you do it in, in summary. And I'll do a, a podcast on this in the future. Number one, define your team's purpose, your mission statement, you know, your, your winning aspiration. Why does your team exist? And how do you measure success that you are indeed delivering value as considered by your key stakeholders, right? Go think about if you have that clarity on your team now. Number two, now that you know why you exist and how you're going to measure success, you now have to create and define what are the functions <clears throat> or the strategy that you need to achieve that goal. Ideally, you're going to be able to measure these functions. So you may have you know, an analytical function, an operational function, so on and so forth, right? Define the different functions that you need in your organization to achieve the purpose of the organization. <clears throat> Within each of the functions, this is where the, the rubber starts to meet the road. Within each one of the functions, each one of these functions performs a service, right? They add value. They deliver outcomes. So you have to go define what these services, what this value add, what these outcomes are. And by the way, this is a really important step. Because if it ever comes time for you to, where you get asked to reduce your team, this is the step you go to and you negotiate with your boss. Yeah, sure, I'll reduce my team. But what of these outcomes, what, what of these services, what of these value adds that I'm currently delivering are you willing to no longer receive? Do not get in a situation where you're being asked to downsize your team, but none of the outcomes you deliver go away, Right. Uh, so this is very important. Define the services and value add that you provide. Step four, once you have these services and value add um, that you provide, then you need to go ahead and describe the processes that are needed to offer these services. And you're doing this to calculate total workload, right? You have to do this. And by the way, you can do this part in collaboration with your team members. Step number five Define the handoffs and connection mechanisms to other organizations if necessary. Think about all of this confusion you're running around now with your team and what some other team does. It's because no one did this step. Well, no one probably did any of these steps at this point where there's just a lot of confusion about who owns what and handoffs. So you have to define these handoffs. Now we're getting down to brass tacks for your planning, right? 
Step number six, if you know all of this stuff so far, is you now get to define your organization. And by the way, when you're doing step six, anywhere from step one through step six, you're not thinking about your current organization. You're not thinking about how many people you have in the organization, who they are, what their skill set is. You're actually not thinking about this. When you do this process, do this with a blank sheet of paper for steps one through six. You'll get to your people when we get to step seven. But this is where in step six, you actually define the organization. So if you understand what functions you need, what what services those functions provide, and the workload it takes to go do those processes, then and only then can you determine how many people do you need, at what what type of skill set do you need, and at what skill level do you need. Think about it. If you haven't done step one through five, how can you possibly define your team? You can't, right? Because what you're trying to do is come up with an organization made up of the number, the type of skill, and the level of that skill to deliver on the services that you signed up for in step three. So once you've defined step six, you now have a a good template for your organization. This is where step seven is simply to go plan and execute on the creation of the org. So the first thing you do is to line up the people you have on the team to try to fit them into the organization you defined in step six. And a wonderful thing happens at this point. This is where you now have an objective basis to to determine, do you have enough people? Do you have the right skill set people on your team? Do you have the right level of skill set on your team? These are all, by the way, independent things. Don't merge them together or mix them up. You have to do this assessment on each one of these individual areas. And what you're going to find is, you know, you're going to have some people that are great fit, but you will find that you might have a skill set gap. So if you have a skill set gap, We'll get to headcount gap in a second. If you have a skill set gap, your first obligation is to try to grow the people you have into that role. And this is where we come back into everything we've talked about so far with respect to retention, where you try to give them a development plan and so forth. But at some point, you will find that individual whose skill set simply cannot meet the objective criteria that is needed for your organization. And if you've done this organization Uh, this organizational planning, the way I've talked about, you have an objective basis to show that individual, HR, whoever else, why this person is not the right fit for your team. And you have an objective basis to say it's time for them to move on, right? Uh, We're not going to get into headcount. If if you have a headcount deficit, then that's a negotiation with you and your boss. So with respect to retaining top talent then, The one other big reason I see top talent leave a team is because of what they just perceive as ambiguity and chaos in the team's mission, the roles and responsibilities, and not just their own team, but others as well. So there's a lot of finger pointing and blaming, right? Having this organizational strategy defined as, as I've just shared it in the summary above, that will go a long way to getting rid of some of those, you know, of some of that ambiguity, the confusion and the chaos. And remember, giving individuals that sense of purpose and that they are adding value. 
Think about it. How can someone feel like they have purpose and are adding true value if they're org- if the organization they're working in, especially with other organizations, is just confusing and chaotic? So if you want to retain good talent, make sure that your organizational design supports them having purpose and adding clear value that's recognized by others. Okay, and so that's it on retaining talent. Now, let's talk about a strategy on how you attract top talent to the organization. Look, if you're doing if you've done everything that we've talked about so far and people know you lead in this manner, then that's a great start. But now I'm going to suggest something that may seem a little counterintuitive. And that is help your people to leave your team. That's right. You heard me right. Don't be clo- don't don't close your mind, you know, be open to helping other people leave your team. Grow your people so that they can attain higher levels of responsibility either on your team, but it could very well be that on your specific team there are no higher levels of responsibility. So encourage them to seek out help and to find those next level roles. I remember clearly one of the new managers on my team, as we mapped out her five-year plan, after a year and a half, she would have reached the point where she would have outgrown my team. And part of her career plan, her long-term career plan was in a year and a half to two years, ultimately, she would have to leave the team to go find that next level up. And there's nothing wrong. As as a matter of fact, you should be doing that, right? Because here's here's the other side of it, right? You know those managers in your organization who are hoarding great talent. And there is great talent out there. But go look at that talent that's being hoarded. Are they actually growing? Sure, they may be great performers and great subject matter experts, and they may know things no one else does, but go look at them over a period of several years. How much have those individuals grown? And you know what? Okay, great. That may be those individuals who say, I'm at a level where I'm happy. That's great. I'm not talking about those folks. The folks we're talking about is people who do want to grow, but they're being held back because their manager is selfish. And they don't want to let them go, right? Don't get a reputation of being that person, right? One of the greatest things you can do to attract great talent is to have that reputation that you care about your people. You put their growth and development at the same priority as the operation, and you have a proven track record of having people on your team grow and get promoted, Even if that means moving to another team, you will get credit for that. One of the key attributes of great leaders everywhere is how well they grow their team. That's a metric, right? Everyone wants to come to work. Um, Everyone used to want to come to work for my mentor, Andy, because he had this reputation of caring about his people and highly prioritizing their growth and development as much as delivering results in the operation. And, you know, he had this reputation far and wide. It, it works. But 
attracting top talent, it's not about just putting people first and focusing on, the, on their development. You have to be a great overall leader. You have to be committed to become what um, Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, calls a level five leader. So in his book, Good to Great, Jim Collins summarizes a level five leader as someone who builds enduring greatness, right? That's one of the keys. A level four leader is great at rallying troops to deliver significant results. Uh, That's uh, that's awesome. I'm not not ever going to take that away. But what's above that is this level five leader who sees their goal as building enduring greatness. And they do that through this paradoxical combination of personal humility, but professional will. I'm not going to go into the details of level five leaders. If you want to hear more, I have done a podcast on that as well. So you can go look for that. So in summary, if you really want to retain and attract top talent and what to do with low performance, right? Number one, understand. So for low performance, understand that it is your job to relentlessly upgrade the team. That is probably your biggest job as a leader, or it's certainly your biggest enabler, right? If you have low performers that despite your best efforts, they're just not a good fit for the team, don't get this misguided sense of loyalty where you start covering for them, you start you know, giving them lower levels of responsibilities or whatever. Instead, help them. Help them to understand their areas of development and then help them to find a role that's more suited to their current capabilities. Number two, to retain talent, make sure you have an organization where a clear mission statement and purpose and the roles and the right levels that are needed to support your mission statement exist. Hopefully, your team structure can provide a career path for those individuals on your team. And make sure you're using objective standards to describe and plan these roles and career paths. And if it means that the next step is not on your team, embrace that and help the individual to grow and develop into those roles, even if they're not on your team. And make sure you have a robust and actively managed development plan. And finally, number three, to attract top talent, strive to be that level five leader where your personal ambition is to make your team and your organization better rather than making yourself successful and go build your external reputation on that. If you do that, people will want to come work in your organization. I hope you enjoyed this chat. If you did, please subscribe. And if you know someone else who may like these types of chats, please share the podcast with them as well. Thanks for listening. Thank you.